Welcome to Red Pill Revolution. My name is Austin Adams. Red Pill Revolution started out with me realizing everything that I knew, everything that I believed, everything I interpret about my life is through the lens of the information I was spoon-fed as a child. Religion, politics, history, conspiracies, Hollywood, medicine, money, food, all of it. Everything we know was tactfully written to influence your decisions and your view on reality by those in power. Now, I'm on a mission. A mission to retrain and re-educate myself to find the true reality of what is behind that curtain. And I'm taking your ass with me. Welcome to the revolution. Hello and welcome to Red Pill Revolution. My name is Austin Adams. Thank you so much for joining me today. This is episode number 14 of the Red Pill Revolution podcast. And uh, again, I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's going to be a great episode. I'm very, very excited to talk about this. Um, this episode is something that I kind of got a deep dive into. You know, I have some recent experience, um, some recent recent passion on these subjects. Um, but also, I was reignited to talk about this um, by Candace Owens. Um, Candace Owens had an unbelievable, like she's just been going on crazy rants about all of these things for the past week or so. And they all have to do with the, the ways that the medical pharmaceutical industry and now our government is basically uh, decided to have a war on our children. And we're going to see a few different ways that they're doing that today, whether it's through circumcision, whether it's through vaccinations, whether it's through um, abortion, whether it's through all the different ways that we've been programmed to believe that they're protecting us and giving us our freedoms um, are actually ways that they're attacking our children, um, our children. And so I, this is near and dear to my heart. I am a father. I've been a father for a while. Um, I have three children myself. Um, and one I had a month ago with I mean, my wife had it. Uh, I can't take all the ownership there. My wife had our uh, third child um, a month ago. So I'm very passionate about these things. Uh, and yeah, I guess you will see that today. But before we do that, you know the drill. Go ahead and wherever you're at right now, if you're on YouTube watching this, um, if you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, uh, wherever the hell you're listening to this or watching this, go ahead and click that subscribe button. Um, I would really, really appreciate it. Uh, just means that you're engaged, that you want more of this content and allows me to see that I'm doing something right with you guys. So I appreciate that so much. Then you'll get updates. You'll know exactly when our newest episodes are coming out. Um, and again, I would appreciate it so much. Go ahead. There's a, there's a little button on there. We've talked about this a few times. It starts with an S, ends with a subscribe. Go ahead and click that. <laughs> I'd appreciate it so much. Um, and then the next thing I need you to do is to go ahead and subscribe to our Substack. It's redpillrevolution.substack.com. And that is our newsletter. Um, I know I, I skipped on it this week. I had a crazy week uh, transitional period in my life. Um, but I am going to be updating that. I'm still going to be going back and sending out that podcast companion from last week and still doing the deep dives, um, figuring out a systematic way to do this efficiently for you guys so I can get this all done in a timely manner. So 
um, stay tuned for that. Go ahead and subscribe to that Substack. If you subscribe for free, you get the podcast companion, um, which is all the videos, all the links, all the articles, and even some books, recommendations, and things around the topic that I found interesting regarding this week's topic, along with the video directly for the podcast on there and the audio version right there too. So it's just a very neat, clean way to receive my podcast uh, of the Red Pill Revolution podcast here directly to your email without having to worry about anything else, any apps, any, you know, nothing. Um, And then you get all of the articles so you can dive deeper into these topics yourself. You can watch the videos that I'm watching here that you're hearing about. but that's all I'm going to bore you with that. Go ahead and subscribe to the Substack. It's free. If you'd like the pay version, the paid version is $7 a month. Um, you know, it's it's a way of showing your support. It's one of the only ways to show your support. And I am 100% audience supported here. I don't have any sponsors, as you'll see throughout this. I'm making, you know, virtually no money outside of your generosity. So if it's a dollar, I appreciate it. If it's the $7 for the Substack, um, or if you find it even more valuable than that, you can go directly to our link tree. And uh, there's a little tip jar there where you can just pay there, or you can go to Give, Send, Go um, and do that directly there. But that's all I got. All right. Um, I, mean, I am truly excited to talk about this topic. And I- and I'll talk about where it kind of started from. So Candace Owens has been putting out a uh, story on Instagram. So if you don't follow her stories, they, she's just been killing it with this. And she's done a lot of it on vaccines. She's ta- she talked briefly about circumcision. Um, and she's a recent mother. I guess she, she recently had a child. Um, so this is something that she's passionate about, something that's near and dear to her heart too. And you can see that in her videos. She has been diving so deep into individual vaccinations such as rubella um, and, and finding out that a lot of some of the statistics that they actually had on the CDC website were completely fabricated. Um, had no statistical basis, no actual real value, um, and they tried to hide the studies for the rubella. So what, what I'll give you a quick breakdown of what that looked like. Um, basically, the CDC on their website right now shows that if you, you your child, you know, there was 12.6 million cases of rubella. Um, of those, hundreds of thousands of children died. And as a result of that, you know, you need to get this vaccination. And once she dove deeper into that and she looked at the study that they were pulling from, she found that the numbers were highly inflated. There was actually only like 200,000 cases as opposed to 12 million. And there was far, 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 like I think there was like 277 deaths total Um that caused them to just massively give these vaccines out to all children um, before they're even allowed to go to school. So they, that set me off on a tangent here. It set me off to kind of dive deeper in this. And this isn't going to be a huge episode on vaccines. We're really not even going to touch on that much. Um, but it, it did pique my interest. And we're going to talk about that briefly here because there was a recent um, uh, Veritas video that was released that was showing that there was some... Uh, botched administration is what it's called here regarding the COVID-19 vaccinations that were being administered to children. So what it was, was that there was, there's a solution that you are required to mix the vaccine in before you administer it. And the solution that you're mixing it with matters. It matters a lot. And if you mix it with the wrong solution, what they believe will happen at the very least um, will negate the actual effects of the vaccination itself and that most could cause really severe side effects, which is obviously the biggest concern here. Now, with the Project Veritas videos, every single one of their videos that come out are so hyped. There's so much hype around them that you expect there to be this just like earth shattering revelations regarding vaccines. And you just hope that any one of these is actually going to be the one that takes down the establishment. I don't think that that's what 
this one was. Um, but I do think it's important to, to, to know about and understand um, the, the different ways that people are being affected by this and not just people now, children are being affected by this. So we're going to watch a quick portion of this video of the nurse who is coming out, the whistleblower. And uh, she came out and said that she witnessed this. She has the videos. She has a video of this nurse talking about how they have no idea whether or not they had the correct solution. And they found out that it was the wrong solution and that it had been administered to children. And then she kind of discusses the way that that was handled improperly, how there was no warning signals for people. Um, or, or these children, and they were never really notified or anything like that. So let's go ahead and watch this briefly. Um, we're going to watch a few minutes of it, not the entire video, but the full 10-minute video will be on the Substack for you. And then we're going to move on into more of the uh, historical weirdness of some of these things like circumcision and all that stuff too. So stick around for that. But first thing we're going to touch on is this Project Veritas video that was recently released. And here is that. I wouldn't want it to be done if it were my kids. And I could have easily administered vaccines and walked off. But these are little kids. They're, they're babies. At the end of the day, they're little kids. As a parent, it's our job to protect our children, right? We've covered a lot of stories about big government run amok over the years, but this one is truly shocking. People nationwide are going to be outraged after watching this story, but especially parents. Mind you, this is not an anti-vaccine story. And those you are about to witness are seemingly all good people trying their best to help others in a broken system. They messed up the vaccine. They were giving out the wrong. They were mixing it with the wrong sauce. Oh, you were the one that was the bacterial thing. I the same solution. What color is the top? In the rush to get everyone vaccinated, New York contracted with DocGo and their subsidiary Ambulance to provide COVID vaccine clinics in schools, homeless shelters, and street corners throughout New York. However, it appears their poor recruitment process and training were severely lacking and may have jeopardized the safety of potentially thousands of people, including young children. I'm a registered nurse. How long have you been uh, administering vaccines for? I have been in the pediatric field since 2006, and I applied for a job to administer vaccines. The first day I started the work, I felt very uneasy. I, I felt like I had no support. I've been here since 445. I was in the first location, which was the wrong place, at 512. So they decided to call me at 736, which means that someone could have already been vaccinated. Because you had us out and about at 4.45 a.m. this morning. So you wait to 736 to call me and tell me yeah, that this I, may be the wrong thing. When I went the first day, the vaccines was for the ages between 5 and 11. I called the supervisor and I said, how do I dilute this vaccine? He goes, uh, YouTube it. We were never given an in-service meaning they should have said every, all the nurses that are giving vaccines, any clinician giving a vaccine, we're going to give a class. There's guidelines to abide by as a nurse administering any vaccines or any medications. There's protocols to follow. They had no protocols. We're just waiting for our supervisor to call because there may be a little technical issue. So. Sure. Yes, I sent you the picture. Uh, all right, thank you. But he wasn't going to call me back, so... Oh, he said we're good? <laughs> 
<laughs> that's what I used the other day. All yeah, but day. that's not even what I'm saying. Is the thing I just need to send you a picture, and you didn't call me back. That's so I have to call you to say, "Are oh, we good? Yes, we're good to go." They're all like it that. shouldn't take us long. Well, yeah. One of my teens that works, they saw it in the stuff, and I usually work with like a, another PA and another RN. Right. So they saw it in the vial in the bags, and they're like, "Oh, this is not sailing." But then once this, they reached your supervisor, other teams had already given vaccines. Oh, with the vaccines? With the vaccines, yes. Oh, God. I don't even think they know what people really have with the vaccines. Oh, okay. Because they don't know if it could cancel out or have adverse root effects, whatever. There's no ingredient insert in the box of the, of the vaccinations. So I cannot educate a parent on the vaccine, which bothers me because that is my job as a nurse. All right. So what we just saw there was them kind of talking and I'm sorry if that you couldn't hear them discussing that very well. There were subtitles on that for a reason. Um, but the, what, what was happening is there was a subsidiary company that this state had hired to come in and administer vaccines. And from that subsidiary company, which was called Ambulens, A-M-B-U-L-Z or L-N-Z, Ambulens. <laughs> that is not who I want injecting me with anything. Um, but this company called Ambulance was basically hiring people off the street based on their Indeed ad, which said you just needed some form of medical experience and didn't have really any other requirements for people. So when they get there, it's all chaotic, and they believe that they received, uh, they mixed it with biostatic water or bacteriostatic water instead of saline solution, which they don't know how it's going to mix or how that's going to interact with these children's bodies. And they were directly intended for people who are 5 to 11 years old. And this just tells you what's happening across the country. Because if this is just one small area, and it, because all they're trying to do is you, you see the way that, that this company's hiring, the way that this company was vetted in the first place to be hired by the city or the state, um, it just all looks like a, a complete shit show where nobody knows what they're doing because they don't. Nobody knows what they're doing. They're just throwing everything they can to get as many people injected with this as they can, regardless of even if it's the correct formula, right? So uh, from a parent's perspective, how frustrating, if, if you are somebody who b believes that your child needs the, this vaccine to be safe, and they're not even taking the proper precautions to make sure that's the case, right? So if you do take this seriously, and if you do believe that your children need this vaccine, then you sh are trusting within the system that the people are doing the correct things and at the very least mixing it correctly, right? That's crazy to me. Crazy that, that you know, the difference between the bottles was a light green and a dark green. And that's their way of organization here. So, you know, it was just a complete shit show where nobody knew what they were doing. Um, and as a result, these children are, could have potentially life-altering side effects because of this small little mistake within this crazy, unbelievable, uh, disorganized organization administering gene therapy to children between the ages of 5 to 11 with this type of disorganization. So that's why I think this is important to know, especially if you are somebody who's gonna get your child vaccinated, maybe go through a company that spells ambulance right. Maybe that's a good place to start. And then on the other side of it, more than likely your five to 11 year old has no statistical reason to get vaccinated in the first place. But even if you, be you believe that they should, which is okay for you and your children, 
then make sure where you go is obviously a, a reasonable place who can actually spell the name of, of their company correctly. So let's move on. And then this kind of started me into this deep dive between Candace Owens with her story going into all this vaccine stuff where she found all these statistics to be just completely inflated and wrong and then hidden. And then the Project Veritas video where they were specifically showing that children were affected by these types of disorganization within these pop-up organizations that are hiring people off the street to inject your children with probably not even a background check. So that inspired this <laughs> this next part of this episode here. So um, if you saw my post a little while ago, I talked about, I did, I, I, and I told you when we first started this episode that I did actually have a son uh, recently. Uh, my son's now a, a little over a month old and uh, super excited, round out my family. I had two daughters before my son and uh, he means the world to me. My family means the world to me. And something that my wife first uh, first brought to my attention, and, and you know, my wife had decided this is our this was our second home birth, that my my wife gave birth at home naturally, uh, chemical no chemicals, no uh, you know um, blockers, nothing you know that that the medical intervention, the medical industrial complex wants to profit off of. So and that you know and now let's talk about that real quick is it's just so interesting to me that birth has been moved to this such a sterile way of of being a you know of birth becoming this you know white gloved situation in, in a in a hospital setting literally the only time you ever go to the hospital without having something going wrong where everything's going exactly as it should is birth right it's the only time you go there um and so it, it's really, it was really interesting to me because, the, you know, we had a completely different flip-flop from our first child, which was a um, elective C-section, um, specifically for no other reason than just, we were, you know, she was pretty young and it didn't really have enough confidence to do it the, the way that she did the next two times, but found through that situation that she wanted to do it in a natural way the second and third time. And... Uh, about home birth specifically, it was the coolest thing I've ever been a part of. Absolutely, hands down, the coolest thing I've ever been a part of. And so one thing that she brought to my attention that's very common in this, you know, um, community of people who give birth at home, which is a very tight-knit community of people, it's very cool to see, um, was the idea of circumcision. And this wasn't a problem we had to address prior to this because I had two daughters, right? So she comes to me and being a man, and being a circumcised man myself, <laughs> uh, you know, that's just the way it is in the United States. Um, it, it seemed it was a weird concept to me. Like the idea, all, you know, everybody, every guy I know, for the most part, was generally, or at least I don't know if I maybe just didn't know. That's <laughs> not like I asked them to show me. Um, are circumcised generally in the United States. So this is a common thing within the United States. And, and so it, what we don't realize is that there's literally no reason for it. There's no reason to circumcise your child other than religious reasons like the faith, you know, of Islam or Judaism. Those are the only two people who generally circumcise their children out of religious faith. And then the only country that does it for sheer aesthetic, social, social reasons is the United States for the most part at least from my understanding. And so I, I went here and found some interesting conversations regarding circumcision because it is really interesting to know because if you ask anybody why, why do we circumcise our children? 
generally the answer you're going to get is because that's what we do because that's normal right or they'll tell you some some crock of shit like you know it's going to cause infection or um you know uh that what are the even other arguments that it's going to cause bacteria or that you know it's going to be too sensitive or that you know even more so the kellogg argument which we'll get into in a minute which is pretty weird um but this talks about some of the common myths. So pulling this up here is like everyone circumcises. Well, no, it's approximately, I believe, 70% of the world um, are uncircumcised. And then on top of that, within the United States, um, there's fewer than 60% of babies in the U.S. are, are circumcised. And so if, if you even ask a physician why they circumcise children, it's generally the answer that they'll give you is, well, it's easier to clean and... Uh, that's it. Now, the way they used to tell you was that, um, you know, the other common myth with that is that it's safe and it's harmless. So this says the reality is that claiming circumcision is safe, safe is a dubious claim. To say it's harmless is just flat wrong. Removing the foreskin can have many complications such as life-threatening bleeding, infection, meatostenosis, disfigurement, excessive scarring, and severe skin bridge adhesions. Some circumcised boys need more than one surgery to attempt to fix these man-made mutilations, or as they say, problems. As bad as that sounds, things can get even worse. Studies have reported that 117 babies die every year from circumcision or complications arising from it. Wow. Additionally, the, tra the, tra the trauma and the stress from circumcision impacts the baby's developing brain, inflicting physiological trauma. The strong pain signals impact the newly forming neural connections in the brain. Babies enduring this pain also suffer from PTSD. Physical, physically, circumcision destroys the functions that, have, that the foreskin performs during sex. It is one of the most touch-sensitive parts of the penis, and removing it drastically changes the dynamics of sex. People claiming that circumcision is safe and harmless is just an illusion. Um, now, one piece to know about that, and this is one thing that... Uh, Candace Owens brought up was the fact that they administer all babies vitamin K. And the reason that they administer all babies vitamin K is because they say that babies won't, blood won't clot properly. But what's really happening is they're saying that when your baby is circumcised, they will bleed out if they don't have vitamin K likely. But they administer the vitamin K shot to all babies regardless of sex. So even female babies, female babies get vitamin K just to specifically smooth over the fact that the only reason that they're administering vitamin K to children is because your child is going to be cut with a blade around their penis specifically for aesthetic reasons. And the only reason they administer vitamin K to the women or the, the female babies is because they want to just kind of hide that and muddy the waters a little bit so that you don't know that that's the specific reason they administer vitamin K. Because other than that, why are we making an infant bleed? Well, the only reason you're making an infant bleed is because you're circumcising them purely for aesthetic reasons. Right. And so let's let's go back. When, but the way my wife came to me and said, hey, you know, we had this conversation around it and it was hard for me to kind of wrestle with initially because just being an American man, that's what we do. And you don't want your son to be ostracized or thought of, you know, when I went through high school, there was like we knew who the uncircumcised people were generally. <laughs> it was like the girlfriend or the girl that the guy hooked up with is always going to, you know, it's, it was a conversation that, that they thought was funny to have. And so, you you know, these things, you remember these things from when you were a kid. Right. And now 
whether or not you should make purely aesthetic surgical decisions for your baby within the very few first days of their lives based on the potential reality of how they're going to be treated in high school from their sexual counterparts is a bit weird to begin with, (laughs) Um, just outright. Um, But other than that, you know, the the whole idea surrounding it from my perspective was like, you know, well, I'm circumcised. My son should be circumcised. This is how I look. This is how she, he should look. Um, you know, and obviously you don't want him to be the one person that's talked about in school, but luckily, you know, it seems to be like to me that this is becoming a more mainstream conversation. Our parents just did whatever the hell the doctors told us to. Right. And that's kind of what this is going to be another, you know, red pill type of idea surrounding the medical industrial complex is every single one of these circumcisions costs fifteen hundred dollars. And sometimes it's even added into the package um, when you when you're giving birth at a hospital. And it's so even if you don't ask for it, it's added in there for fifteen hundred dollars. And the insurance company is automatically billing that and getting paid that. Or in the, and obviously the, the medical industry is getting paid that. So every single time, and that goes back to like the initial reason surrounding, you know, natural birth. And I think I'm obviously with my and my wife's experience, we're going to have a whole, I'll do a whole episode on the, the actual uh, medical industrial complex changing birth into something that is now so commercialized and sterilized when it should be such a spiritual event with you and your partner. Um, that they've just taken, taken completely taken away that that idea of that, um, and and I think that's so important when you realize how it, you know when when I was the first child that we had, um, she had the elective C-section and I was put into a corner. I was put in scrubs. I had a mask on my face and uh, I was put into a corner where I could barely, barely even see anything. I was just sitting next to my wife, not partaking in anything, not having any situ- any any part of this. My wife was completely doped up you know, by drugs at this point to the point where she threw up on me before she even had our daughter, um, because she had so many drugs pumped through her system. So she didn't have to partake in the birthing process, which her body was designed to do. Right. Because you have to think the medical industrial complex only commercialized birth 85, 90 years within the last 90 years, since like the 1920s and thirties, it became a thing that where you went to the hospital to give birth prior to that, it was almost always a midwife and almost always a home birth. And now within the last 90 years of, of humanity's existence, we decide that that's not the way to do it. The way to do it is the way that makes them the most profit. Because the whole body is designed for each stage of it. And when you experience a natural birth, you see that, you know, the way that my wife was dealing with her pain was through tools that she innately was given at birth through her own, you know, feminine power and and where she had to channel when she was going through this process of bringing our children into the world was this completely like primal instinctual interaction that she had. And to completely strip that away because when, when me and when my wife was giving birth for, through our second two children, it was me and her the whole time. I wasn't sitting somewhere in a corner, shutting up and not being a part of the conversation. I was sitting next or I was pushing on her back. I was pushing on her hips. I was helping her. I was talking her through. I was helping her, her figure out, catch her breath when she needed it or grabbing water before she even knew she needed it or doing all of the, it was me and her. The midwife sits back basically and just coaches when things need to be progressed in a different way. And other than that, it's mostly just you and your partner. And how spiritual, like how spiritual that journey is, 
and how important is that to a relationship? Like if you're a new, if you're in a new relationship, especially, and you haven't gone through the hardships of life together, the one of the most difficult situations you'll ever encounter together. And, and the, the one of the ones you'll be able to draw back on throughout your entire relationship is the birth of your children. And the interaction that you have with your partner on that, in that way is, is so deeply seated and so animalistic and, and all of the chemicals that are being released, not only by the female in the, in the partnership, but also the male in the partnership. So much of birth is instinctual and animalistic not sterile and medical. And so the, the, the tools that you pull from that experience where, where I'm not just sitting in a corner the whole time and shutting up while she's giving birth and going through this process while she's on a bunch of basically uh, comparable drugs to heroin. But you're there with each other the whole time, every minute, coaching each other, working with each other through that and then in having the, the, the greatest moment of your life at the peak of that, you know, togetherness and teamwork where you have your child and you have that experience and then the ability to draw back on that that moment together that you accomplished that thing together is a is a tool that you carry into the rest of your relationship i wholeheartedly believe and, and maybe there's you know there's there's so much data that that could be muddied that, that throughout this time looking back further than those 90 years but i wholeheartedly believe if natural home births were more common, that divorce would be less common because of the difficulty of the situation that you're dealing with at hand. And so this comes back around to all of the reasons that they've found to commercialize birth, all of the money that they make. It, literally, there's two ways that you can make money off of every single person in this world. And it's when they enter this world and when it's when they exit this world. And we've commercialized both of them, right? And birth specifically only in the last 90 years this this medical intervention has become so common in circumcision is no different fifteen hundred dollars that they make off of every single penis that they give an elective surgery for aesthetic reasons to on the children within their first several days of life so much so that it's a concern that they have to administer a, a, a vitamin k shot to help with blood clotting or else as it stated here 117 Male babies every single year die of circumcision or complications. That doesn't even talk about the 10%, which 10% uh, of all of those circumcisions result in a botched circumcision, which results in them having to go back and have additional surgeries or can even affect them for their entire life with things like erectile dysfunction. And we're doing this to a baby who's entered the world and in 45%... 45% of circumcisions, they're administered some type of anesthesia or anesthetic. 55%, which is a completely unregulated part of the medical uh, industry, is, is what type of you know, industry standard there are for anesthesia or anesthetic surrounding circumcisions in newborn infants within the first several days of their life. 55% are done without any anesthetic. And all of the studies that were done regarding circumcision were halted because of the amount of pain in the control group, which was not using an anesthetic. So they had to halt the scientific studies that were done to see if they should be administering it because they, they knew so much that they should, that they could not continue to run the study with how much pain these babies were in without anesthetic. So 
this goes on to say that baby, you know, a myth about this is that babies can't feel or remember pain. It says that circumcision is extremely painful to the baby. They're taking a, a, a literal scalpel to your baby's private parts to, to rip skin off of there with no anesthetic at all. Only 45% of doctors use any anesthesia at all. There's no mandatory anesthesia or pain relief policy enforced in hospitals for this procedure. This is an important item to consider when discussing circumcision facts and myths. So, and this comes down to about the abortion conversation too. This says fact number one. Um, well, I guess this is not what I was thinking. So, so this says fact number one, the only person making such an important decision for their own body, a, a, a purely aesthetic surgery, the only person who should be deciding whether or not they want that aesthetic surgery is the child itself. Imagine this. What if it was industry standard in America when your daughter was born to give her breast implants? Purely aesthetic. No reasoning at all funded, founded in, in actual medical science to do so. Just purely aesthetic. People would say that that's the most crazy thing you've ever heard of in your life. But yet taking a scalpel around your, your son or any child's privates for the purpose of anesthetic is acceptable. Right, and this really was the thing that got me away from, from any type of argument, any type of argument at all against circumcision for, for my child. And is because he can always make that decision himself. It's not a now or never thing. You don't have to circumcise your child within the first two days or it can never happen. They just say that because it is so painful that the only time they would like to do it is within those first two days. The pain isn't any different. All you're doing is completely taking those first several days of their life and, and causing more pain than they're ever going to experience in the entirety of your life within the first several days without using any anesthetic for this. If at any time your son decides that he wants to go get this purely elective aesthetic surgery done, he can always do so. But maybe you shouldn't be making purely aesthetic decisions for your son with an elective surgery within the first several days of his life, especially because you're concerned about his sex life, right? If you believe the bullshit surrounding, you know, the, the better cleanliness or sensitivity or whatever that is, do your research because you're wrong. And any other argument is purely anesthetic or, and about aesthetics. And if you're so concerned about your child's sex life that you're, you know, willing to cut their dick with a knife, maybe you should be reflecting on your beliefs, <laughs> not how they should be looking with their potential sexual partner down the road. Maybe a thought. Um, fact. In America, and this is true, circumcision started in America to save boys from masturbating. That's right. This fact, it says, is extensively documented in the historical literature. The idea started in the 1890s that masturbation was a dirty, vile habit that needed to be stopped. The war on masturbation. <laughs> Medical experts from across America began promoting circumcision to parents as a way to prevent masturbation. The experts led parents to believe that masturbation would cause mental insanity. And was also the root cause of many diseases. Notable people of the day, like John Harvey Kellogg, who is famous for his beliefs on circumcision, wrote in his book, 
plain facts for young and old about curing masturbation, a remedy which is almost always successful, Kellogg says, in small boys, is circumcision. The operation should be performed by a surgeon without administering anesthetic, as the brief pain attending the op operation will have a salut solitary effect upon the mind, especially if he is connected with the idea of punishment. Wow, I had not even read that part yet. So it wasn't even that there was some physical way that it would stop you from tempting to uh, uh, to masturbate later in your life or that it would be uncomfortable or that you would second guess yourself. Be, you know, the whole idea was surrounding the psychology, the psychology, not even the physical aspect. So it's not even like his argument was that, hey, you know, it's going to be uncomfortable if they masturbate. It was that, no, they're going to have such pain, he said. They're going to endure such trauma from the circumcision itself that they're not even going to want to go near their dick because because of the solitary effect upon the mind especially if it is connected with the idea of punishment so he wanted and believed and you fucking bought it that you should circumcise your son because you're going to rip his genitals with a knife and make him in so much pain that the deep-seated pain from cutting it with a knife is specifically without administering anesthetic, which 55% of doctors still hold true today, will cause such psychological trauma surrounding that sexual organ that they won't even want to go near it for fear of punishment again. That was his reasoning. Wow. That is crazy. Wow. That's crazy. So, goes on to say that circumcision is a billion dollar industry. When it comes to circumcision facts and myths, this is a fact. Hospitals and doctors earn income by performing circumcisions. Since performing the procedure is part of their livelihood, the medical community tends to be biased in favor of circumcision. Hospitals also get paid a facility fee for each circumcision. The average amount invoiced to insurance carriers can be as much as $1,500 per circumcision. Some hospitals bundle it in the cost of the overall price for their delivery. Reducing circumcisions may prompt insurance carriers to lower the reimbursement rate. Since circumcision has a 11% complication rate, these botches and complications, called revision surgery, must be repaired by pediatric urologists for even more money. You have a 1 in 10% chance during the time that you decide to give a purely elective aesthetic surgery to your child's genitals, that it will be mutilated as a result, so much so that you will need a second surgery on their genitals. Wow. Other hospitals may even use the free infant foreskin tissue in their revenue-generating clinical trials, and they also may sell the infant's foreskin tissue to biotech and cosmetic companies for further profit, which is where the real money is. Not only are they doing this completely negligently, right? And this should wake you up to the idea that the medical, pharma, the medical industrial complex is not on your side. They are not 
on your side. They're doing this for purely profit. There's no scientific reasoning for this. And then they're selling your child's mutilated skin to biotech companies and cosmetic companies for further profit. So, let's dive into that because this goes even deeper and crazier. There is seven surprising things that circumcised foreskins are actually used for. So when the hospital mutilates your child's genitals for no other reason other than profit for them and purely aesthetic reasons from the parent's perspective, unless you believe wrong science or articles that have no funding, founding basis because there's no actual articles that will explain it scientifically, they're selling that to these companies, your child's, my foreskin's floating around somewhere with some hair growth product. <laughs> How horrifying. How horrifying to think that. Stimulating hair growth is, is the top one here. It says the basic functions of neonatal fibroblasts, which is the term that they use for cells taken from infant foreskins after they are circumcised, is to keep things together and, circum er, and stimulate cell growth. Fibroblasts taken from any human create strong bonds, but fibroblasts taken from human infants are much stronger. In 2012, a company called Histogen announced they will be creating an injectable hair growth stimulant from cells derived from neonatal foreskins, or baby skin, in other words, for creating stem cells, for facial cream. And facial cream is one that came up in the pop culture recent, not recently, but a few years ago that we'll watch the video of in a second. It's disgusting when watching this video, the, the, the reactions of the crowd, the reactions of Steve Harvey, who's putting this stuff on his face and super weird, restoring aging or damaged skin. And then this goes even deeper. If you're talking about, you know, baby cells, you know, being used to, for revitalization of old ass people's skin, so much so that they're willing to mutilate their genitals in, in pursuit of it. Maybe there's some fundamental founding to some of these conspiracies surrounding people harvesting the blood of children for the same purpose and reasoning. Right? Maybe. Dive deeper into that later on the show. <laughs> Not later today, but we'll get down that rabbit hole eventually. Because the adrenochrome rabbit, rabbit hole is truly a concerning one, especially given the history founded you know, within um, the kings of Great Britain or, and other things at the time. Um, you know, With uh, Vlad the Impaler, literally historical accounts of him drinking the blood of his enemies after torturing them significantly to incite you know this type of frenzy that he would go into after taking it this drug like frenzy and then the bloodlines of you know uh, prince uh which one is it who's the anyways coming out and saying that he's basically related to Vlad the Impaler specifically I'll look that up again because I'm, I'm going to do a deep dive on that eventually too is the the royal bloodlines and the actual you know adrenochrome type uh you know because it's literally you can go online right now and find adrenochrome being sold across the world you can do it you can go on the dark web and find legitimate adrenochrome and you can find I'm sure on the regular web too 
but you can find it. It's there. This is a real thing, guys. This is not, this is not, uh, crazy conspiracy ideas. You know, some, I'm sure there's some layers of that deeply found within some of these conversations, but the idea itself of, of that is not so, so it, you know, drawing back to the original conversation, restoring aging and damaged skin was something that they're using these foreskins for product testing, treating bed sores and diabetic ulcers and creating bioengineered skin for burn victims. The ones that are super concerning, obviously they're all concerning, but the, the one that I found that I found the video on for you guys is this restoring aging or damaged skin. So in this video, you are going to watch Steve Harvey, right? Steve Harvey, um, administering this liquid on his face from this woman who eventually tells him it's from the blood and foreskins of babies. Go ahead and watch this video. Magic wrinkle. So this is one of Oprah's favorites. She says it's a miracle fountain of youth and her magic wrinkle cure. So I'm gonna put a little on your hand. I'll do that, Oprah did yeah, it. Yeah, Oprah did it. All right, so here, we're gonna rub how, it right in. How come it's red? I sh I'll show you in a sec, Steve. So this is made from growth hormones of human Look, horses. the wrinkles has just disappeared. <laughs> I can't even ball my hand up. But so, so it's made from human foreskin. <laughs> Steve. You'd have sat up here and squirted somebody's private parts in my damn ears. What you sorry. laughing at? I'm sorry. This your last time on the show. This your last time. Not coming up in here. You're sitting up in here. You tell Oprah this what's on her face? She knows. She knows. She knows. There were a couple protesters about it because they are cells from baby foreskin. Oh, baby foreskin. That makes it better. Yeah, that's that's different. I thought some grown ass man. <laughs> okay, does it work? So yes, human foreskin has actually been used in growth factors. It's, there's a lot of research on it. It's been shown to increase collagen production. It'll fill in all those lines and wrinkles. And Oprah looks great. Man, I ain't gonna be able to look at Oprah no more. <laughs> That's got to be the creepiest, most ominous video that I've seen in a very long time. Literally sitting there sadistically laughing, joking, and then making light of the fact that it's better because it's baby foreskin than grown-up foreskin. <clears throat> How weird is that? They're all sitting there laughing. And if you're not watching the video, you should go see it yourself. This is uh, titled, Did She Just Put Liquid Foreskin in My Hand? She says it's Oprah's favorite, which makes complete sense. But he, he laughs at it. The audience laughs at it, right? How, if somebody, if you knew what went into that going onto your hand, if you knew all of the pain and endorphins and, and, and the horrific uh, experiences that were had by these infants in the first days of their life, just so you could laugh it off in front of an entire crowd of people and make light of the fact of this, you know, why is it red? Oh, because it was ripped off of children with a scalpel in the first days of their life in agony without any anesthetic. 
you fucking creep. All of you. What in the world? The audience sitting there laughing at that. How is that funny? And if you believe anything at all about, you know, energy or, you know, any deeper spirituality around the world, the world, maybe a lot of it, which we don't understand, right? And the things that you're interacting with, with many cultures, you know, believe that there's, there's innate energy that's passed through things, you know, especially like uh, human interaction. There's even cannibalistic cultures from that, that there's like the forte culture within the small island would basically uh, cannibalize their um, family members when they died. And they kept doing it until basically they started to get these terrible brain diseases that caused them to die. And so, you know, modern experts flew into this small tribe of, you know, third world country people and tried to study and figure out why these people were dying. And they found out because they were cannibalizing their family members. I don't know. That's kind of a weird thing to do when you're saying cannibalizing. I doubt they even had utensils. I mean, sorry. <laughs> if you didn't see that, I was using like a fork motion. Um, don't know why you would do that when you're talking about cannibalism. Um, so anyways... This, this small tribe would do, do it and until they found out that basically it was causing this terrible brain disease that caused them to die because, uh, anyways. So it's within cultures that they would do this because they believed the spirit was within that flesh that they consumed, right? And by consuming it, they were allowing the re reincarnation-like spirit of their elders or their family members to, to live on through them, right? Okay. Now that we've fundamentally structured our conversation around the spirituality of this foreskin juice that he was just had on his hand, we can understand how people believe, you know, maybe not in Western culture, but people believe that things can hold energy or spirits or, you know, spirit or um, life force or whatever you want to call it. And, and innately when you, you know, carve off the skin of somebody and somehow create this facial oil from it, and that what came with that action of treating that child that way and all the, the, the horrific emotions that came with that and, and the, the pain of this baby who's in the first days of their life. And now you're taking that energy, right, that, that foreskin juice in this case and rubbing it on your face. What kind of karma do you think that gives you? <laughs> like if you're not even going to have a conversation surrounding, you know, thinking that's terrible and you accept it. You know, what, what type of energy are you bringing into your life by, by pulling, you know, using a facial or a hand cream that was made from the tears, literally, the tears, agony, and pain of babies, and you're using it to get rid of those wrinkles? Kind of weird to me. So, super weird use of, of this foreskin, but just an example of that. That's one example, and, and how culture looks at this situation, not as one of the, the, the babies are just like these inanimate objects, right, that have no existence to them in this, you know, packaged facial oil. Like, how far removed are we from that process, right? I don't even know. Do they even let the parent in the room when they're doing this with how much pain these babies must be in? I don't know. But God, I can't imagine ever being somebody who, who utilizes a product that is built literally on the pain of infants and then laughing about it, putting them on a TV show to promote it and talking about, oh, well, Oprah loves it, so you should too. Fuck you. That's disgusting. So then, 
where we're going to go next in this conversation and where this kind of takes a little turn here. And I'll try to do this in a different way than you've heard, because I'm sure you've heard these arguments before. And, and I, I want to take it from a purely philosophical perspective, not in almost like a scientific perspective than one of like the way the normal conversations had surrounding this topic, because I know it's a very touching topic for some people. And I understand that for sure. I get it 100 percent. So the way that we'll approach this. So so where where I start with this topic and before we do that, before we do that, let's do, go ahead and do this. Go ahead and click that subscribe button before I jump into this for you. Go ahead and click that subscribe button right now. You're gonna like this next topic. I know you're gonna be interested. It's it's a, a conversation that I've had a few times with people and I've kind of worked around this idea and, and if it can be applied this way. So I hope you enjoy it, but go first, subscribe right now. Press that subscribe button. If you've already pressed that subscribe button, I appreciate you so much. Um, thank you so much for listening to this. And then go ahead and subscribe to the Substack. If you're subscribed on the Substack as a free subscribe subscriber, you get the podcast companion. If you pay, you get the deep dives. And we're going to start doing those more consistently on these topics. And I think this will be a great one to start on. So if you haven't paid that $7 already, the next time you get that uh, deep dive article, go ahead and click it. You'll be able to click the button to join now and you just pay $7 per month. Um, and you'll be able to get that. Outside of that, you can donate right now at our link tree, linktr.ee slash revolt. And you can go right to the tip jar, $1, $5, $100. It would mean the world to me. I appreciate it so much. Or you can go directly to our Christian giving website, which is givesendgo.com slash revolution. Um, again, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And we also have some merchandise on the website, the Ma uh, Misinformation Mafia sweaters, which I think are pretty cool. Um, and we're going to be adding and updating those things as time goes on. Uh, so I appreciate it. Let's jump into this topic. So when, when I've heard people talk about this, what, like what are the two most horrific things that we do today that we're going to look back on 150, 200 years from now and be like, what the fuck were these barbarians doing in 2022? And there's two things that a lot of people will point to when you have those conversations or you ask that question. And the first thing is circumcision. There's no fundamental scientific reasoning for it other than aesthetics. And when you realize that the pain, agony, and suffering that goes into it is not justifiable. And the second one that people bring up is the conversation of abortion. And again, I know this is a, a tough conversation to have, so I'm, I'm going to try to, in a way that, you know, we're not having the same argument you've heard hundreds of times on this topic, and, and it'll be a unique perspective, I hope, for you. And so the way that I look at abortion... And the way that I've kind of prodded into this idea of this topic is from is I actually had like almost like a revelation on it. And what what got me I'm, I'm you know, I, earlier in my life, I was very pro um, non any decision on this. <laughs> I didn't take a stance. So, you know, I, I took you know, I have six sisters. Um, I understand that there, there's obviously situations people put on that are terribly difficult. Right. I get it. Um, but where I started to look at this per, from this perspective is if you understand, and this is where this will, this will take a, a turn that you probably didn't expect. If you understand the way that string theory operates, if you understand how time is nonlinear, right? In the same way that I exist right now here at tw 28 years old with this podcast is the same way I'm currently existing on another plane in my infancy, which is the same time I'm also, you know, experiencing a life on a different multiverse at the age of 90 or on another one I already died, right? So there's all these different, you know, and don't look to me to explain string theory to you. I barely understand it myself. But what I do understand is the idea of time being nonlinear, 
right? You are not born and then you live this, you know, this progression of, of time in which we call it, which is simply just a measurement of movement around us. If you think the way that we just measure the sun and the movement that we see around us in the cosmos is how many days we have, is how many weeks we have, is the, based on the cycles that we uh, see. And that's what time is. Right. But time really is nonlinear and time isn't even existing besides the measurements that we make of it. Right. So if you understand that and the way the string theory operates is that there is multiple things going on. And, and any time a decision is made, multiple branches branch off of other opportunities for other existences on other planes. And so when a baby is the con the when a baby when a sperm and an egg meet each other. That causes a ripple effect of hundreds of millions of potential realities, hundreds of millions of uh, potential lives that that baby lives, um, ages, right? and and these are all happening simultaneously in other in in different realities, right? And this is just the one that we occupy here today. But as soon as that egg and that sperm meet. Millions of branches of life, opportunity, time, existence already exist. That baby in some other existence is already 55 years old with a family, with a grandchild on the way. The second the egg and the sperm meet. Excuse me. Um, so the second that that happens, a, a, a branch of life and a branch of existence immediately flickers off in a million different directions. So the second that that baby is conceived, they have a life, they have children, they have a job somewhere, they have a reality, they have love, they have passion, they have hobbies, they have friends, they have experiences, they have all of these things already exist the second that sperm and egg meet each other and they're viable. Viable meaning they meet each other and they actually connect and become an embryo, right? So... The second they touch each other, it branches off into a million different directions in, in this idea of reality and this idea of time. And simply taking a scissors to one of those branches, right, the, the branch being our reality, this space and this time that we occupy on this plane of the multiverse. The idea of simply taking scissors to that and cutting it does not take away that embryo and sperm's existence on the other branches which already exist. All you're doing is killing that baby's existence here today. You're killing the, all of the branches of life that exist down the road as a result of the sperm meeting that egg and the realities that are created as a result there. I hope you followed that because I think that's a unique perspective on, on abortion. If you understand the idea that time is nonlinear and that baby begins to exist already the second that the interaction happens and they connect. It already is in existence. It already has children. It's already eating cereal somewhere on a different plane of time and reality. And all you're doing is stripping it of that right to exist in this reality today. Right? So it's an interesting perspective to me because it made me start to question that any of the arguments that are had surrounding, you know, time of conception, viability, age, whatever, because all you're doing is choosing a different time to snip that branch. And whether you snip that branch by putting a gun to a person's head at 50 years old and pulling the trigger and killing them then, all you're doing is snipping that branch and the possibilities of, of, of them existing further in this reality. And all you're doing by doing that at the beginning is, is taking away the opportunity for them to exist here. 
but they still exist. They're still somewhere on another plane of existence that still happened. It's already, it's already happened. You cannot take that away simply by taking scissors to that branch. And I think that that, that perspective can, can start to make your belief in, in whether, you know, is this existing here today? And, and if so, do I want it to if it hasn't already? It already is. It already happened. You already, <clears throat> the decision's already been made on your behalf, right? You don't get to take scissors to that now, right? Just the same way that you don't get to point a gun to a guy's head at 50 years old and pull the trigger. It's illegal. It's murder. And so is taking scissors to that branch at six weeks, 10 weeks, whatever, disgusting, you know, eight months, whatever they do, right? And obviously, you know, there's always the argument of, <clears throat> well, what if somebody's raped or whether if they're, you know, 12 years old or what if this, what if that? The reality is that's not 99% of abortions. And 99% of abortions are happen out of convenience, not out of necessity for medical reasons. And that's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people. And this is a really emotional conversation for women. And then I get it because, and, and they don't even want, you know, some women just say, you know, you're a man, you don't get an opinion, right? And I get that because I, I physically cannot have this experience. However, what I can understand is that the woman, the woman is the victim. This was a highly systematic way of developing eugenics within our society. And we're going to dive deeper into that in, in just a moment with who basically started Planned Parenthood, um, which was Margaret, Margaret Sanger, a self-proclaimed eugenicist and a self-proclaimed racist who wanted to terminate um, you know, specific subcultures of the United States. And so... The women are the victims, and, and, and when you make a decision that's so difficult to make, like having an abortion is, you have to protect yourself from that decision. You have to, you know, you have to make it so that you, 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 you can't be consciously capable of ending somebody's life, and, and you weren't. You were coerced into believing that it was acceptable in the societal structure that we hold today. So the woman that's had this happen is not the, the person that we're accusing of doing these things and saying that they're egregious. The, the person who did that is, is just as much the victim who was made to believe that these things were acceptable and socially um, positioned in a way that it was so easy to do so out of convenience. And so let's start with the beginning with Margaret Sanger and realize where did abortion begin and when did it become such a commonplace thing? Because this has not, you know, people want you to believe that abortions have been occurring just like across the board for millennia. And that's not specifically the case, at least not in the numbers that we're seeing today at such high alarming rates. And this all starts to make sense when you see that Planned Parenthood is funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, also self-proclaimed um, eugenicists as shown by, you know, specific seminars and, and statements that Bill Gates has made. Interestingly enough, Bill Gates' father actually was the president of Planned Parenthood. Very close to the time and with connection to Margaret Sanger when she came out and, and was a big proponent of it. So there's this video that we're going to watch real quick. I think it's important to understand the background of Margaret Sanger um, and to see what type of person she was and some of the beliefs that she held. And then we're going to have a quick conversation surrounding um, a little bit about, you know, the beginning of Planned Parenthood, which was originally called the, the, the um, we'll, we'll, we'll see it in here. So let me go ahead and start this, begin this uh, quick video for us here. In the eyes of some, Margaret Sanger has been a heroine. In the eyes of others, she's been a destructive force. 
In her own words, Sanger pushed for a society that limited births to those she deemed fit to have children. I think the greatest sin in the world is bringing children into the world that have disease from their parents, that have no chance in the world to be a human being, practically. Delinquents, prisoners, all sorts of things just mock when they're born. In 1916, Sanger opened the country's first birth control clinic. As a member of the American Eugenics Society, she advocated improving the genetic composition of humans through controlled reproduction of different races and classes. She often wrote about the issue in the journal she founded, called the Birth Control Review. In 1919, writing, I personally believe in the sterilization of the feeble-minded, the insane, and the syphilitic. The most urgent problem today is how to limit and discourage the over-fertility of the mentally and physically defective. Many point to a 1923 New York Times interview as proof of Sanger's racist motives, in which she referred to people as weeds, saying, It means the release and cultivation of the better racial elements in our society and the gradual suppression, elimination, and eventual extirpation of defective stocks, those human weeds which threaten the blooming of the finest flowers of American civilization. Hayden Ludwig, an investigative researcher, has extensively studied Sanger's life and writings. She talked about the need for race betterment through, through controlling these weeds, basically undesirable people. In 1939, after opening another clinic in Harlem, the birth control activist launched the Negro Project, an initiative supported by black leaders, such as civil rights activist W.E.B. Du Bois. Critics claim the program used the pretense of better health and family planning for poor blacks in the South as an attempt to limit the black race. Ludwig says some on the left grapple with Sanger's past and how to interpret her legacy. They know when she writes about human weeds, they, they know that it's that it's it's repulsive. They know it's disgusting. The left will never abandon Margaret Sanger because if they do, the, she's the foundation of so many of their views. Sanger once shared her vision for a preferred race at a women's branch of the Ku Klux Klan, writing in her autobiography, Always, to me, any aroused group was a good group. Despite those views, liberals praise Sanger's work while ignoring her history. I admire Margaret Sanger enormously. Her courage, her tenacity, this is Hillary Clinton. Vision. I am really in awe of her. Ryan Bomberger, founder of the Radiance Foundation, says abortion proponents are working to clean up Sanger's past and what she stood for. They have to reinvent her every time they talk about her in order to justify their celebration of her. Former Planned Parenthood director Abby Johnson says those inside the abortion industry are trained to overlook Sanger's racist views. They give you an answer like, well, I mean, yes, Margaret Sanger was, was a racist, but everybody was a racist back then. You accept it because she is your hero and she has to be your hero. You cannot question Planned Parenthood. In 1997, Stephen Mosher of the Population Research Institute wrote about the push to repackage Margaret Sanger in the Wall Street Journal. 
The reason I call it the repackaging of Margaret Sanger is because after uh, the Nazi regime destroyed the legitimacy of eugenics forever, uh, they then went back and said, oh, she was just an early uh, feminist. She was just an early supporter of, of family planning. No, she wasn't. Now, she was a supporter of, of giving IQ tests to people. She was in favor of using those IQ tests to determine who should be sterilized and who should have children. In a response titled The Demonization of Margaret Sanger, Alexander Sanger, her grandson and president of Planned Parenthood at the time, called Mosher's editorial unfair. In the same piece, Esther Katz, director of NYU's Margaret Sanger Papers Project, claimed evidence revealing Sanger did not rationalize her support for birth control on racist grounds, that she never advocated genocidal policies aimed at racial, ethnic, or religious groups, and that she, in fact, believed access to birth control would benefit, not eliminate minority populations. Dr. Katz turned down our request for an interview. Although in this article, the editor as public authority interpreting Margaret Sanger, she wrote, by our current highly sensitized standards, some of her attitudes and statements can be construed as racist, elitist, ethnocentric, and not political. So it looks like Bill Gates' <clears throat> dad, Bill Sr., was president between possibly the time that her grandson was even president. So he's like in the middle of the Sanger sandwich. And this woman was a part of the eugenicist uh, group or foundation, right? Which tells you her belief systems. And if you understand the time that this was done, you understand who she's speaking about specifically when she says syphilitic, right? She's a racist. She gave rallies at the KKK, at the female KKK rallies. And, and she pushed these, these Planned Parenthoods. 80% of Planned Parenthoods are in low socioeconomic areas. 80% of them. And disproportionately affect minorities, which they try to give you the right as freedom. Right? You, oh, we don't want to mess with your freedom. Let, let me put a Planned Parenthood at every corner of your your area of this, uh, you know, your location where most people within that racial uh, group live. And then you understand that, you know, at the time of the studies that I was reading, that basically 13% of, of people within the United States were black or African-American. And they made up 30% of all abortions disproportionately affected their generational branch of, of their children. 30% of all abortions are done to, to women who are African-American or black. And then Hispanics are, are absolutely disproportionately affected as well because they, they position them in places where they're, they're, those people are more likely to be within these racial socioeconomic uh, uh, positions of society. And they do that intentionally. You don't think that's you think that's unintentional? You think it's because you know the Bill Gates' daughter had gotten knocked up, and you know she needs to go to get an abortion? No, no. They're trying to stop specific sections of our culture from reproducing, and they're doing it under the guise of your personal liberty and freedom, just like they're doing right now with everything else. It's crazy. It's crazy. And to think how much that has disproportionately affected our history. Any one of those kids that had, had 
had been aborted or murdered is the better term because abortion is just a term used in lieu of murder because they try to instill the idea linguistically that it is, is not when it is the end of a life. You are putting a period at the end of that life. Doesn't mean the sentence never existed. <clears throat> so, you know, to, to me, you have to, the, the cause and the reason behind it and the person who founded Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, the person who founded it, who actually got the name, I, I pulled out this little piece uh, from this book that I was reading um, called uh, Code Blue, Inside the Medical Industrial Complex by um, Mike McGee, M-A-G-E-E. -E. Page 76 talks about uh, Margaret Sanger of the Birth Control Federation of America. So it says, um, Mary, la, 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 reaching out for financial support, she turned to the dynamic advertising man, Albert Lasker. Albert Lasker was the one who was a big piece, one of the most infamous marketers of all time, who, you know, basically assisted with the marketing of cigarettes through doctors and all of that, you know, back in the day when marketing was like this, just like guerrilla warfare. Um, Albert Lasker is a very, very famous marketer and um, <clears throat> who had launched some of America's most uh, recognizable consumer brands, including Lucky Strike Cigarettes, Wrigley's Chewing Gum, Pepsodent Toothpaste, and Sunkissed Oranges. Known as the father of modern advertising, Lasker was also politically connected, having helped engineer Warren Harding's successful presidential campaign in 1920. 20 years, um, or Lasker admired her intensity. It's talking about Mary, uh, Mary Lasker in Florence Mahoney. Um, but Mary's senior, Lasker admired her intensity. Uh, Mary ended up actually marrying Albert and took on his last name of Lasker, um, who was uh, a part of uh, Margaret Sanger, was dealing with Margaret Sanger at the time. So basically what, what um, Albert Lasker ended up doing was is basically helping them reposition the idea and re-advertise the way that the Birth Control Federation of America, because that's a eugenicist name, that's a eugenics name, birth control eugenics. That's what that is. Eugenics is controlling births in the hopes of, you know, multiplying in a more uh, um, agreeable way to whichever racial side of the spectrum you believe is best. Uh, Controlling Birth, Birth Control Federation. It was a eugenics society organization, but it was repositioned by uh, Albert Lasker to be Planned Parenthood. You know, because when this was all happening, and, you know, this was in the late 1920s and 30s, um, Mary was already uh, ready to reset her health advocacy, and, and this is talking about Mary Lasker. They went on to actually... Um, Let's see, where is it here? They went on to uh, marry in 1940, Mary and Albert did, and they actually came out with these, uh, the, the Lasker Awards. The Lasker Awards are a very prestigious medical awarding association. And when you look at the people who have gotten awards, it's people like Anthony Fauci. It's people that are deeply ingrained into the political spectrum of science so that they can handpick these people by giving them this award and bring legitimacy to, to certain organizations and people that they fund and, and politically position. 
Um, so look up the Lasker Awards and look up who's gotten the Lasker Awards and what those people have went on to do as a result of receiving that awards. And you'll start to piece together some of the bullshitness that came <laughs> bullshitness um, that came from the Lasker family, Albert Lasker and Mary Lasker, who were connected to Margaret Sanger, who, with the help of Albert Lasker, repositioned the name of Planned Parenthood from one that was based on eugenics as the planned uh, as the birth control federation to one that was, oh, just, you know, just mark a calendar to when you want a baby, not when you actually have one inside of you, because we'll suck it out of you. So the, the truth behind Planned Parenthood and the truth behind abortion is a story of eugenics and racism, which still holds true today in the vast amount of, of, of minorities who are disproportionately affected by these specifically placed eugenics buildings designed specifically to, to go towards this. And that's why you see carried on through the name of his son in, in Bill Gates Jr. funding mass scale abortions across the whole world through Planned Parenthood. His president was the father of Planned Parenthood, of the Eugenics Society of America, basically. And that's where a lot of these eugenics conversations surround Bill Gates is because he was ingrained from the time that he was a child that this was the way. <clears throat> and on that note, I have one more thing to show you, which is the bullshit, frivolous argument from Bill Nye. When it comes to women's regarding abortion. So let's see what what bullshit this you know self-proclaimed scientist says about this. And this is on CNN. Who'd have thought? When it comes to women's rights with respect to their reproduction. I think you should leave it to women. Nobody likes abortion, okay? But you can't tell somebody what to do. I mean, she has rights over this, especially if she doesn't like the guy that got her pregnant, especially if she were raped and all this. We have so many more important things to be dealing with. We have so many more problems. To squander resources on this argument based on bad science, on just lack of understanding. At some point, we have to respect the facts. Recommending or insisting on abstinence has been completely ineffective. Not getting, giving women access to birth control has not been an effective way to lead to healthier societies. So I just really encourage you to not tell women what to do and not pursue these laws that really are in nobody's best interest. All right, because every single piece of information that just came out of his fucking mouth was bullshit. I want to go back and break that down and kind of, you know, let's, let's, let's go back and look at his argument a little bit. Cause I want to break down what when he just said. Cause I think it's unbelievably crazy. The words that just came out of Bill Nye, the science guy's mouth about regarding, uh, political decisions about abortion. So his first argument is rights with respect to their reproduction. I think you should leave it to women. Okay, so from that perspective, when we talk about circumcision, is there any reason that a woman shouldn't have the right to be within the conversation surrounding whether or not the boy's genitals get mutilated? 
No, it's very easy for a mom to look at her son and go, no, I don't want that to happen, even though I don't have a penis which can be mutilated the same way. No, you get an opinion because you understand pain. You understand, you know, the, 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 the laws of, of reality and, and the, the craziness of that decision. You don't need to have a penis to understand that circumcision is wrong after the conversation we just had. If you're a woman and you believe that, that's okay. You deserve that opinion. Just because you have a vagina does not mean you're the only person who gets to talk about the, the conception of life, right? Or the wrongfulness in ending that life. No, you can have an opinion on that. It, it's such a, you know, such a um, stupid argument. I mean, from a lack of a better word, just a terrible argument that, well, you can't talk about it unless you have a, a women's uh, chromosomes. Okay, you can absolutely figure out morality surrounding whether or not something is right or wrong without having to be the person in that position, right? To Who's capable of having those things happen to them. Because again, the woman is just as much the victim here. Victimized by a society and a eugenics society of elites who want to push these things towards minorities, which they are disproportionately affected with, to, with today. So there's this first argument. Nobody likes abortion, okay? But you can't tell somebody what to do. I mean, she has rights over this, especially if she doesn't like the guy that got her pregnant. Especially Nobody can tell anybody what to do. Bill, those are called laws. You can absolutely tell people to do what to do, and we do it every single day. Okay? Laws are there for a reason. Okay? Now, the next thing that you said was, especially if she doesn't like the guy who got her pregnant. Well, Bill, I'm here to tell you that it takes two in at least 99.7% of cases that are not rape, takes two people to make the decision to have sex. That innately is a decision. Well, I don't like you. Well, I've generally never had sex with somebody who I hated. It's kind of the way that that works, right? That's the, the programming that we have is not one where we just go off, you know, having sex with every single person that we dislike and we could never, you know, picture ourselves with. The whole point of the mating process is, is to mate with somebody that you deem proper to pursue a potential relationship with, at least from an animalistic level. Right now, there's layers on top of that, but it doesn't take that away. Well, if you don't like the guy, you should absolutely kill the baby. I don't know why Bill Nye sounds like Barack Obama. <laughs> Anyways, let's look at this next argument. She was raped and all this. And then they paused it there and said, well, because you could see it cut the scene. And then he goes, oh, and if he was raped and all this. But really, he meant if he just doesn't like the guy, go ahead and abort the baby. We have so many more important things to be dealing with. We have so many more problems to squander resources on this argument based on bad science, on just lack of understanding. At some point, we have to... We have so many other things to worry about, other than the 37, or the, the, the child that's 
life is ended every 37 seconds through abortion in the United States alone. We have a bunch of other issues which are much higher on the priority list than, you know, a baby dying every 37 seconds. No, Bill, I think that's quite the pressing issue. I don't think there's much of an argument there. I think we should have that conversation, Bill. Well, no, we shouldn't. Close your eyes. Don't look at this. Back the facts. Recommending or insisting on abstinence has been completely ineffective. Not getting giving women access to birth control has not been an effective way to lead to healthier societies. So he just said a eugenics statement. Giving women birth control, right? What did he say? Abstinence and giving women birth control. Control has not been an effective way to lead to healthier societies. Has not been an effective way to lead to a better society. Eugenics point is to lead to a better society through selective breeding. Birth control is not been effective in leading to a better society. What is a better society to him? Especially when you understand that abortion is disproportionately affecting minorities. What is a better society to you, Bill? What do you believe is a better society based on that? Because the numbers and statistics tell us that that's a racist statement, that you specifically believe that going after minority specific cultures and stopping them from reproducing at the rate that they would otherwise would lead to a better society. Is that what you're saying? That's a strictly eugenic statement that he just said. And he said earlier, before that, that asking abstinence is not an effective strategy. An effective strategy for what? If the goal is to empower people to make decisions for themselves, they're making the decision. What is the outcome that you're looking for? What do you want out of this? You want eugenics-based society. And he literally just said it with that statement. They're showing their cards to you. And you're just not listening. So I just really encourage you to not tell women what to do and not pursue these laws that really are in nobody's best interest. I really encourage you to not tell women what to do. What a piss poor argument. This guy's an idiot. What a terrible argument. In fact, Bill Nye, if you want to debate me, send me an email. Red Pill Revolt at protonmail.com. I would love to have your dumbass come on and, and say these stupid things to me about your eugenics hopes for our society. And on that note, that's the show. The longest one we've ever done. We're coming up on an hour and a half here. So <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the show. I'm really interested in this conversation. I would love to have a conversation about it. You know, I, I'm very open to ideas. I'm very compassionate for the women that have gone through this because there's one in three women are, are affected by abortion in, in their lifetimes. Um, it, one in three or one in four. And that's horrible. I can't imagine the terrible, you know, reality of, of having to live with that and having to know specifically that they're disproportionately affecting specific groups socioeconomically in, in minority groups. So I'm, I'm very compassionate for that. I, this is not condemning women who have had abortions at all. This is showing you the structural society that has been created to allow us to think that these, uh, these decisions are acceptable when they're not. 
and they've become so mainstream, just like circumcision, it's just frivolous now. It's just something we do. We just circumcise our babies. Why? Because I don't fucking know. Because we're weird. We have abortion clinics in every corner of, of low-income areas. Why, you ask the people? Well, because empowerment. That's what we've been told. But Bill Nye just told you. It doesn't lead to a better society. A better society, according to him and according to Planned Parenthood, specifically talking about Planned Parenthood or the Birth Control Federation, was shown by Margaret Sanger, who created Planned Parenthood in hopes of spreading eugenics against minorities. In hopes of a more better society through the, the spreading of white genes, I guess. I don't know. But that's what it seems like. And that's your red pill for the day, guys. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for joining me. Go ahead and subscribe. Press that button right now. Subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts. Um, go ahead and if you could, subscribe on the Substack. It's free. You get the podcast companion. The stupid-ass video we just watched of Bill Nye. Um, the articles I was discussing. A few extra ones I didn't get to today because this was such a good long episode. Um, I will include on there for us and we'll have this discussion again. If you have anything that you want to talk to me about, go ahead and DM me at Instagram at Red Pill Revolt. Would love to hear your comments and information. If you have, you know, another side to this that maybe I didn't approach and, and maybe an opinion that you think refutes what I've just said, I'd love to hear that too. And maybe we can have a discussion about it and maybe you can change my mind or, you know, maybe you can uh, educate me in some different way. And maybe we can have a good discussion. So if you feel that way, feel free to DM me on Instagram. Other than that, subscribe. Uh, if you could donate, that's be unbelievable to me um, and amazing for my family. I would appreciate it. I'd love to move more towards doing this and less of other things in life that I need to do to make money. So the more that I can make from this, the more time, effort, and energy I can put into it for you guys. So thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you guys so, so much. Welcome to the revolution. See you guys next week.